This FT podcast was brought to you by Credit Suisse. Entrepreneurial ideas can change the world. As a bank with deeply rooted entrepreneurial heritage, at Credit Suisse, we are driven by the idea of making progress happen. Do you have what it takes to be entrepreneurial? Find out what makes this way of thinking different and what you can learn from it. Discover more at creditsuisse.com slash progress. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, hey, this is Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, 8 to 10 p.m. Wednesdays on G-Town Radio. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to Harlem, where apparently there's a rage up in that place. Surprisingly, though, it looks a lot like Cincinnati. We're going to 1991, where Robin Givens, Forrest Whitaker, Gregory Hines, and Danny Glover are ablaze in a rage in Harlem. Vince's selection for this stop yes, on sir. the show mission. But before we get into that, as always, we like to take a moment and thank each and every one of you that gives us your feedback posts your stories and lets us know that you're out there on twitter and instagram as well as in our facebook group and via email at michellemission at gmail.com where jesse coleman wrote us hey what's up jesse an old school fan of your podcast with a film review suggestion okay all right I, Jesse Coleman, yes, am 66 years old All right. and had no idea what a podcast was until a couple of years ago. Nice. Beast the hell out of radio. <laughs> I know that's right. Now I'm addicted and listen on this smartphone thing all day long. <laughs> Come on, Jesse. You're not that old. <laughs> I listen on the smartphones. <laughs> Okay. Put in my ear duties. <laughs> Let's do the toy dog. Cooey. Anyway, all of a sudden his last name is Clampett. I didn't know. I don't know where. I was just letting you go. I don't know where I went there, Jesse. I guess he's going to come back in a moment. But I guess he, he maybe found a bubbling crude. There you go. Uh, great opening credits, though. Like you, like you, you get all the information. You, oh yeah! Like I love the old credits that it's like this is all the information you need. I see that is what's missing. Yes, from television now, dude. I was watching the Six Million Dollar Man. Yes, the other day, Six Million Dollar Man. You know the opening is because as a kid, I thought the opening was like ten minutes long. Right, because it's so epic. It's like thirty seconds. Steve Austin. Everything you need to know. A man barely alive. We can rebuild him. Oh my goodness. We can make him stronger. Faster. Better. You know what else had great 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 opening credits I was watching the other day? And I didn't even watch it. I just kind of taped it to watch the credits. And then we can get back <laughs> to Jesse's letter. Space 1999? 
Ooh, I don't remember their opening credits. So, so you know, they have the the what is it? Like, is that a is it a stinger that's in the front of the credits? Mm-hmm. Like, what's that yeah. called? Yeah. That's so a, you know, they have the stinger that's coming, and then um, I know Barbara Bain is is the, the wife the, is the female character. Right. I just forgot the um the male lead. Oh my god! Uh, it's um. It's, he won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. For uh, uh, Bella Lugosi. Um, uh, anyway, it comes on, and Barbara Bain kind of ha- is. It kind of looks at directly at the camera. Mm-hmm. Martin Landau, yes, also Landau. looks at the camera. It says "Space 1999." And then, like, the funky disco music starts. Yes. And then it says, in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it shows clips. Yes. Yeah, so what from the in- episode right. that's, that you're about to watch. Interspersed with the, you know, the concept that, you know, they got thrown off path, this, that, and the other. They bring in, um, I think Victor Bergman played the doctor. Okay. And then they show him. Then they, and it's amazingly stylized. Mm-hmm. And super cool. Yeah. And I was like, wow, opening credits used to be fantastic. I I, I remember loving Space 1999. It was very cerebral. Yeah. And then the third season, it was nutso. Third season? I don't think it ever, I don't think it made it to three seasons. Space 1999 was on the, uh... I don't think it made it to three seasons. Well, I know there was a split. I got a funny feeling that would... It was two seasons. Yeah. It was two seasons. But remember, like, they tried to be really scientific, Mm -hmm. and then I guess nobody was watching. So then it was, like, aliens and... I honestly don't remember. And, like, the devil. I just remember... I remember... What I remember about Space 1999, if I remember correctly, that they traveled in kind of like this... Like, almost looked like this souped-up, like, super space camper. Right, right. No, no, you're thinking about Ark. Um, oh, yeah, that's right, right. About. You think about Ark. What you face? Space 1999 was was it? They the moon the moon base blew up, and oh, they got lost. Oh, yeah, you're thinking about like Ark. Uh, what was that show? I don't know because that was a good show too. Oh man, 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 man. To the Google. Uh, no, Ark. It wasn't Ark two. That wasn't it. Was it? Was it? What year is that? Maybe it was 1976, that's 79. Yeah, that's it. Arc two. Was it Arc two? Yeah, it was Arc two. I'm looking yeah, at you're thinking about Arc two. Yeah, which was also cool. Yes, Arc two was cool. Yeah, but Jesse's email. Oh yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot. I about to go to the review. Oh no no no! And let's be clear. I had to pull us back in. Because you know short-lived 70s science fiction shows. Oh, man. Oh, uh, I, I was. we were just going to be doing a, um, an impromptu bench lounge <laughs> if you'd have got me talking long enough. Man, look, because I would have went to Lauren Green and Battlestar Galactica. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> and I'm like, come on. Don't make me start on the very short-lived Logan's Run television show. Oh, my God. Come Logan's on. Run. Go ahead. Do Jesse's, do Jesse's email. Because <laughs> all of those 70s, like, they had on, like, the, the taupe one-piece jumpsuits. 
Y'all ain't ready. With like the line down, because everybody was trying to say we gonna do Star Trek, but we gonna do it better than Star yep. Trek. Yeah, but did it all look goofy? But the best of those things, best of those series, was the Planet of the Apes TV. Planet Apes, Planet Apes, where you could tell the budget got smaller <laughs> and smaller <laughs> as you got further away from the first movie. So that by the television series, somebody had just gone to Toys R Us and picked up some masks. <laughs> and, and the apes wore gloves. Right. <laughs> hey, man, look. Look. I'm an ape and I'm in charge. Look. You humans need to do something. I'm going to be an ape. But Jesse's email. But Jesse's email. Or like the very stylized Planet of the Apes okay. cartoon. Oh, oh, see, Vince, stop. Okay. Stop. All right, go ahead. I'm stop. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. See, because now you know what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, because you went cartoon. Yeah. Now I'm seeing the Partridge family in space. Oh, see. But see, I'm talking about the good stuff. I know. Like, I'm talking about the stuff that, like, when I, I was, I, like, I, eight. I like, I like the Partridge. You like the Partridge <laughs> Like, that's what the Partridge family concept needed. I kind of like... Like, it had the very high concept of a single mother. Like, a single mother. And also, they are a band. You know what the crazy thing is? So, like, you needed In Space to complete the concept for you. You know what the crazy thing is about that series? So, they made that series, right? And they roped in the the two kids that played, the like, the youngest kids. Right. Danny, and they roped in Susan Day. Okay. David Cassidy and Shirley Jones said, no, we're not going to do it. So all those other kids. Right. Those are actually their voices. They did the voices, right? By like the third episode, Susan Day said, oh, forget this. Yeah, I'm not doing this either. (laughs) She quit. I'm not doing this either. (laughs) She quit like at (laughs) halftime. You see what I did? Did you see what I did? Ah, I made a sports joke. You like that, right? I saw the opening and I took it. <laughs> Ran it back for a touch. There you go. There you go, Vince. Uh, so yeah, she quit. So it was like just the kids. <laughs> just the it was kids. like just the kids in a studio with some low-level execs. Ma, I'm thinking about going solo. <laughs> It's some Shirley Jones sound alike. Son, you can't. But Jesse's email. But Jesse's email. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> we haven't even gotten I mean, into it. Just thanking him for, for listening. It sounds like, you know, hey. Okay. So where last we left Jesse. Yes, he had he a was, recommendation. He was addicted to podcasts yes. and listening on this smartphone smartphone thing all yes. day long. I was a black nerd in the 60s and early 70s. All right. Reading science fiction and comic books. I know that's right. When I when I thought um, me and my one friend were the only black kids who did that. Dag. To me, the best part of your podcast is the first 15 minutes <laughs> when you guys just interact about anything and everything. Well, there you go, well, Jesse. Jesse's going to There love- you go, <laughs> This one's for you, this Jesse. This one's for you, Jesse. <laughs> 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 
remember Shazam? And I think they were riding around in the exact same camper as Ark One. Uh, no, no, no. See, I, I ain't gonna let you do that. You ain't gonna let me. You ain't gonna let me disrespect Shazam. Shazam. Basically, had a Winnebago. The Ark Two. The Ark, you're, you're Ark right. Two was like a. It was a. It was a deal. That was. A, that was. That was a deal. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. I ain't gonna let you go there. <laughs> um, sometimes I just listen to that and not the review. <laughs> okay. Case in point. Oh, there you go. <laughs> this would be on repeat. You got about ten minutes for you. <laughs> My film suggestion is Across 110th Street. Oh, okay. I saw that film with my father in 1972. I was 20. He was 45. An unforgettable bonding experience. I felt back then it was a totally realistic view of the interaction between a police department and the black community. Len, I now understand some of your criticism of the black exploitation films such as Superfly based on your own life experience and how you view the film quality in 2018. But back then, we went crazy seeing proud and aggressive black actors, even if the film quality was not up to par. Okay. All right. It's a good suggestion. That is I have not point. seen Across 110th Street in probably 20 years. I have not seen And I have no real memory of it whatsoever. I just, you know, the, the great theme song. I'm about to say. Yeah. I only know the song. Yeah. It's I've a, never seen the movie. And I only assume. Bobby Womack. Yeah. And I only see, And that's the thing. I never knew the movie. The song was about a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So. so I guess. Actually, every time I'm in Harlem and I cross 110th Street, I start singing. Everybody does. Because, you know, yeah, but. But yes, but thank you, Jesse, and and certainly that is on the list. Thank you, Jesse, and you're welcome. Um, we got an email from Viv. Hey, Viv. Good morning. I heard your radio show for the first time on nine seventeen twenty eighteen. Nice. That was a Monday, so she heard Mondays with Michelle on nice. WKDU. Very nice here in Philadelphia, ninety one point seven FM. First. I thought it was a news show. Sounded so serious. <laughs> you all are funny and would like to say when announcements are made to follow the show on different forms of social media, please spell it. I thought it was me show M E S H O W because it is a play on what you do and how what I know. Oh. I found it by looking up Spock adjacent. Got you. And also Twitter account pops up pop-ups as non-existent when i clicked it how does sitting in for a stretch work if possible i would like to review sydney portier in pressure point if you have not already no i don't have cable never have so no philly cam sorry we'll have to watch elsewhere thank you that's from viv oh well thank you viv Thank you, Viv. Um, yes, Misho is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X, Mission, as you have uh, figured out by your email. Um, and it is the just, it doesn't hurt to always kind of like remind people. Absolutely. Misho is the name is based on the the godfather of black cinema, um, Oscar Michaud, who's a noted filmmaker and writer of yeah. the early part of the 20th century. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um so how does sitting in on this show work, Vince? I don't know. I mean, it's been very casual and loose. I mean, I think Yeah. We we try to 
you know, every once in a while we reach out um, to have people on the show. We try to, um, because it's two guys, we more often than not try to have um, women sit in with us um, just so that it, it changes the, the pace. But we certainly are not a, opposed to having guys on the show. Um, and it really just boils down to, you know, there are some people who we've kind of like, earmarked that we would like to have as guests so it's a matter of trying to arrange schedule to get them in or yeah. sit down with them or what have you um it, it usually just goes back to schedules yeah it so, goes back to schedules so yeah we're open to it and we always and, and i i do have to say we do try to be cognizant of having like um people on that we think people would like the audience would enjoy hearing right you right. know what i mean so um but every now and then we just let a fan yeah just open it up yeah so come in and sit down so 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 stay tuned stay tuned viv all right thanks for joining us thank you very much we really appreciate it uh let's see what's going on in the facebook group all right if someone decides greg sims posted if someone decides to give shaft another go cast this guy and he's referring to mustafa shakir who played um bushmaster bushmaster in luke cage yeah season two um, I think he'd make a good John Shaft. He would. For some reason, I think they're they're making another Shaft. Are they? Yeah. Oh no, they're making a movie, and like some young boy is playing like the third generation of Shaft or yeah. something. Yeah. I think. But but I've said this before, and I've said it when we talked about Luke Cage. I actually think Shaft would work really well as a television series. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, but, but they tried it as a television series. Yeah, but I mean, like, with some actual attention paid to it. Would you want to see it on regular TV? I'd love to see it on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think, I've said this before, I think if you squint your eyes, you can almost see it in Luke Cage. Yeah. I actually wouldn't mind Shaft. This might be a stretch, and people might not, they might not go, go for it. But I wouldn't mind seeing them taking um, David Walker's miniseries. Oh my god, that'd be perfect. The origin of like the origin of Shaft. But I wouldn't mind seeing that animated. I don't want it animated. I think you need the grittiness of live action. I think you can animate. Give me give me a cartoon you would model it after. Give me some animation you're modeling it after Mm. to help me visualize it. Let me think. Let me think. Well, see, I think, and it, it it wouldn't be anime. However, I think Afro Samurai is gritty. Mm-hmm. So, so there. That's my example that you can and and some anime has gr- Afro Samurai so stylized. No, I wouldn't do. But I'm saying that right. that's truth that proof that you can do gritty animation. Mm. I'm not I'm convinced. Saying? Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, like I said, I don't. I don't. I I know they wouldn't go for it. Yeah, but um, I I, I wouldn't mind seeing that anime. I would. I would love to see a period piece. Oh yeah, but I know piece. a period piece. I actually think you could do an up to date version, and I didn't used to think that before Luke Cage. Mm. But I think Harlem. In Luke Cage, I can see how it's still a character Mm -hmm. and there's a community and, you know, everything that I think that you need for Shaft 
to work. But yeah, I'd love a Shaft series. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I think that would be pretty dope. Pretty dope. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the Facebook group because the Facebook group be popping, people. I'm telling you, that is where the fun happens. Well, that's where some fun happens. It's not. It's not all the fun. There's more fun <laughs> other places. You know, like at Jesse Coleman's house. Where um, let's see, Bougie Square Society. Hey, what's up, Cuz? Wanted to let us know that he watched Belly last night. <laughs> Always a good time. Yeah, hear you tell it. Um, <laughs> Gee, we going to Africa. Africa. God, I can't stand that movie. Cannot stand that movie. I do not understand you people that have fallen in love with that film. George Kamona. Hey, what's up, George? Folks that should have been included. Include Nichelle Nichols, Ted Lang, Avery Brooks, and the original Colonel Ty, Terry Carter. And he's talking about the oh, Emmys yeah. where host Michael Che presents reparation awards yeah. to black actors. Now, what is that about? I, I, it was it was a funny little skit. He talked about the fact that black actors have not been awarded Emmys. Mm-hmm. So he went and retroactively gave reparation Emmys to a couple of actors. He did like Kadeem Hardison. He did Marla Gibbs. Yes, he did uh, Jaleel White, um, John Witherspoon. I think I may have hit all of them. And it was kind of funny. John Witherspoon. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just doing sitcommy people. But it was kind of funny. I mean, you, you know, the irony is that the Emmys were still pretty white. Although a couple of couple of notable wins, you, you know, Regina King won another one. Did she uh, win for Best Actress in a dra- dramatic yeah, series? Yeah, she did. Um, Cat Williams won for that great episode of Atlanta. Wow, did he? Yeah, as, as I guess a guest star. Yeah, the Gator Uncle. Yeah, and my girl won, Tandy Newton for Westworld. Well, okay, but wait a minute, she would have been nominated for Best. Actress, wouldn't she? Oh, oh, I don't know. Oh, was she supporting? I just saw she won. I didn't really. Oh, was she supporting? I'm probably supporting. Because if Regina won, Regina definitely was the lead. Right. But I think it was in a limited series. It was some type of weird qualifier. Oh, okay. Because they gave most of the awards to that show that I don't. They, Game of Thrones. No, Game of Thrones and Mrs. Marshall. Oh, Mrs. Um, Maple or something like Mrs. that. The Amazon show. Right. Right. Do you, do you, have you watched? Do you watch I actually it? watched the first um, episode. It's not bad. Do you know anyone who watches it? Yes. Uh, Jasmine of the Security Blanket Podcast okay, is a huge fan of that show. Yeah. It's just. It's a, it's a, it's a cute show. Struck me as part of the reason I don't watch these award shows. It's a cute show. I mean, to me, I mean, I think it won like best. Com- comedy series and i don't know if i would nominate a best comedy series to me i think that um i think insecure atlanta i think they're both funnier um but well, that one all the awards and everything that i read today and heard today was oh i don't watch it but now i'm gonna watch it so it's you know what? I didn't even know the it's Emmys like, were on. Yeah, me either. It was yesterday. I, think. I, I guess. Yeah. I did, I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't didn't care. Yeah. But I'm looking at these people that he gave these awards. And I know it was all tongue in cheek. Hmm. Um, Marla Gibbs. Yeah. For the Jeffersons. 
She deserves an Emmy. That's fair. I'm surprised she didn't get one. I'm surprised. No, that doesn't surprise me. No, because didn't um I thought at one time Isabel Sanford did win one. I honestly don't know. I think she did. Um, Kadeem Hardison. All right, for a different world. Tachina Arnold. Tachina Arnold. She was the one I they, they they gave it to her. Well, at least this this um, article I'm I'm reading references Martin. But I would have probably given it to her for everybody hates everybody Chris. Everybody hates Chris. Yeah, I think she's also really good on what, what's that that basketball show Survivor's Guilt, which I don't know if Survivor's Remorse. Yes, yeah, Survivor's Remorse on, on, on Stars. On Stars, she is good on. Yeah, that. I heard she's really. She is good very on good. That. Well, yeah. she's good. I lo- I love me some Tachino. I have grown to love her. Oh really? I wasn't that. Big you didn't like a, her on Martin. Well, I'm saying I've grown to love her. I actually like her in everything except Martin. Because I liked her before she was on Martin, when she was like in musicals and stuff, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you'd see in like Little Shop of Horrors, right? And I didn't like her on Martin. Why didn't you like her on Martin? I think because she was one note. I think the entire Martin series, for the most part, was the equivalent of somebody scratching a chalkboard, yeah, and like making that noise, like for twenty two minutes. You really didn't have to do that. Like for, but take that for twenty two minutes. Yeah. That's I, what Martin. Is I think for me. Martin. I think Mart. That's what Martin became. Maybe after the second season, right? That's what we all say. Yeah. Like we all talk about this this legendary first season that wasn't like that. But yeah, I've, no. It's, but it's not like it's not that it was legendary. It's it's that no. It I mean, was, legendary. Like that's the one that we all reference. Like right. everyone always says that the second season of Martin is when it became like nails on a chalkboard. And I'm just wondering how much of that is us retroactively writing history. I'll tell you, it's it's not because I've watched season one again. Okay. And in season one, yes, it, you know it's it's Martin Lawrence, so he he's he's certainly propping himself up, but he is a lot more generous, and the writing is a lot more generous in season one because you're building up all the characters, especially his relationship with Gina. Okay. It is, and that continues to the second season. But in the second season, you can see the seeds of oh, what Martin can do. How many different characters? Mm-hmm. You know, Martin can. You know, every episode has to do like his faux kung fu thing and all this other right. stuff, and 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 mug, mean mugging for the camera, and that starts coming in in season season two, and then after that, it's it's. You know what? I'll take your word for it. Yeah. It's also the visual equivalent of coconut. Like I see it and it's like it's coconut in my mouth. So, but I really like Tachina Arnold in every single solitary thing besides that. Okay. All right. Okie dokie. Well, I I mean, I I think that's pretty much what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We know we spent 10 minutes talking about (laughs) 70 science fiction television. I know. I know. Because now. Because <laughs> here's now the thing. seeing Josie and the Pussycats. No, no, no. Well, see, I, but see, I'm just talking about like the television series. Because the thing that I loved is that it, like, all of these shows kind of followed the Incredible Hulk model. Like, like now I'm thinking about like, and, and we're, we're bleeding into the '80s, like Manimal and 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 Starman, where like there was this high concept. 
mm-hmm. in the first like the the first episode, but then the rest of the show was really just it was almost an anthology, mm. and you had the one character that held it all together. So that at the end they do their version of the end of the Incredible Hulk with Bruce Banner and the sad piano music, and then you'd move on to the next episode. But Where, that was certainly what was um what was um um um. But it's a perfect formula. Like, it's a perfect formula for a show. Scott Bakula series. Oh, um. Quantum Leap. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it's the perfect formula. It is. Like, you get a high concept, you set up the MacGuffin, Mm -hmm. you have someone chase them. And then every episode, you just have guest stars. Yeah. And, you know, maybe two or three times a season, you do a mythology episode. Mm-hmm. And then you just, I mean, and the thing is endless. Watch, wash, rinse, repeat. So, you know, structurally, I'm a fan of that, of, of that. So, I miss that. I love that. You know what? Okay. We like, gotta get I, can, to I can already tell, like, I'm going to go home and I, I do this like two or three times a year and go down a YouTube oh, rabbit hole oh, of man, watching I... like 70s science fiction show. Because, you know, a lot of them only had like four episodes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've fallen down YouTube rabbit holes like crazy. Yeah. But the most recent rabbit hole is not on YouTube, it's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Because Hulu, I have found, has every season of the greatest cop show Ever made. Lethal Weapon 2 was not a show. Sorry. I'm so used to. <laughs> Hill Street Blues. Oh, come on, man. That's like an actual show. Like, I'm not talking about actual well, shows. I'm just saying, well, they've got every season of it. Yeah. And I'm on season two now, man. That's my late night TV watching. All right. I love it. I love it. Oh my God, I love Hill Street Blues. Well, that's not fun because that's like good quality television. Oh, is it? And it's so, it's so like so strikingly different than yeah. anything that was on at the time. All right, let's suppose the Auto Man. I don't even. What the hell was Auto Man? Remember Auto Man? He through the power of computers, he actually was 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 a computer hologram man, and then he changed. Like he would he could form a, a car and a motorcycle. And once a season when they had a budget, a helicopter out of holograms. I never saw You don't show. remember Auto I've Man? Never, I've never yeah, and he Man. worked with like a regular cop dude. <laughs> it's Auto Man and Cop Dude. It was right, but it was like one of them 70s actors. I've, you're making this up. Look up Auto Man. There was never a show called Auto Man. Why do you test me? And you're wrong all the time. I don't. Auto Man. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know why you even question me at this point about this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know I know this shit. <laughs> like, these are my jams. This show didn't even last didn't even last a year. It, 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 uh, Auto Man, December 15th of 1983 to, to April 2nd yes. of 1983. Yeah, like five episodes. I loved Auto Man. Oh, this looks ridiculous. Computers. This looks absolutely It was holograms and computers. This looks so stupid, Vince. You actually fell for this crap? Loved it. Ate it up. Well, you were the only one. I I know. (laughs) All right. 
I was watching the great great American hero. Yes, greatest American hero. Also that was a good show. Hey, again, that's the formula. We've got to get to our review. All right, let's go. Blame it on Jesse, ladies and gentlemen. Here's <laughs> <laughs> our review of A Rage in Harlem uh, after these messages. Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Hey, what's up, missionaries? It's that time again. Yes, it's the it WPPM is. fundraising drive, ladies and gentlemen. It'll be October 24th through October 31st. Philly Cam, WPPM 106.5 FM, People Powered Media. People Powered Media. And it's 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 definitely people power media. It's time for people to power it because <laughs> the lights are flickering. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, our our radio station survives solely on the contributions of our members as well as generous donors such as yourself. And the Michelle Mission wants to do their part. Yes. So here's what we're doing. Our show on Saturday, October 27th at 1 p.m., Vince and I are going to do a live episode. All the way live. All the way live. A live episode of the Michelle Mission with our intent to try and raise $500 for that's it that's it that's all that's all we want to do we want to raise five hundred dollars for the station on saturday october 27th want to be live and we're just going to and we're just going to just we don't even know exactly what we're going to be doing on the show but we're going to be bugging yes and we want to raise some money and for each and every one of you that helps us reach that goal you will receive a very special edition of the Last Dragon. Oh, well, then I can buy Last Dragon anywhere. What makes this so special? Well, first of all, you can't buy The Last Dragon <laughs> anywhere because they have taken it off the show. And you won't be able to buy this very special edition of The Last Dragon because this will be the only edition of The Last Dragon that will have an audio commentary by Vince and Len of The Michelle Mission. The Michelle Mission with a scene-by-scene audio commentary of The Last Dragon. Listen to my soul get sucked out of my body as I have to once again, once again, sit and watch The Last Dragon and talk about it. Since it gives Bruce Leroy the belt buckle, we'll be talking. 
Lil' Keisha Napoleon We'll be talking Break dancing to escape the ropes We'll be talking Looking like an idiot with one nunchuck I'll be laughing Yes And talking Yes And celebrating the idiocy of it all As the Michelle Mission does a very special audio commentary on The Last Dragon, which will be yours for each and every one of you that helps us on Saturday, October 27th, on a live Michelle Mission episode streaming on WPPM 106.5 FM, phillycam.org slash listen, part of the WPPM fundraising drive. Missionaries, we need your help. Yes, we do. Help us, help the station, and then help us. We'll give you a helping, a helping of audio commentary. Oh God! All right, all right. Thanks in advance. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The Good Brother. Thank you for not putting obstacles in my way, such as women. The Bad Brothers. I got one rule in life. Don't give nothing to nobody. And one ugly mother. Who's that? That's his mama. Damn! They're all after the sister with a chest of stolen gold. Do we know you? Not this lifetime. Oh! Looks like there's gonna be a rage in Harlem. Did you hear what they said? There's gold in Harlem. You're a virgin, Jackson. You won't ask me a question like that. I'll take that as a yes. I do believe you and I were cut out to do business together. Yeah, baby. Bring the panel! You get the woman, I get the gold. Woman, gold. Whitaker, Gregory Hines, Danny Glover, and Robin Givens. In the film the Philadelphia Inquirer said was sparkling all-star entertainment. It's The Sting above 125th Street. 1991's Entertainment Home Run, said the Detroit Free Press. A fun-loving movie. Robin Givens turns in a delicious comic performance, said Newsweek. A rage in Harlem. A beautiful black gangster's mall flees to Harlem with a trunkload of gold after a shootout, unaware that the rest of the gang and a few other unsavory characters are on her trail. And thus we have A Rage in Harlem, a 1991 American film starring Forrest Whitaker, Danny Glover, Robin Gibbons, Gregory Hines, and Bajia Jola on a film that is loosely based on Chester Himes' novel, A Rage in Harlem. This film, directed by Bill Duke, noted and selected because of his legendary work on Hill Street Blues. See what I did there? Yes. Uh, and featuring music 
by Elmer Bernstein. Okay. There's a name for you. This was a selection of Vincent's on this stop on the Michelle mission. Vince, what say you of A Rage in Harlem? A Rage in Harlem is a film that is a good film. But I think it is one of these films that you see if you tweaked it just a bit here and there, it could have been a great film. Mm -hmm. And because you can see the tweaks that it could have made, it paradoxically makes you like it less. Mm -hmm. You know, all the pieces are there. You you know, you name the four, the, the four main, main lead actors, but this is a great cast, Mm -hmm. you, you know, and then it's a great cast throughout, you know, with, with character actors, you know, Wendell Pierce is in here. Um, Zake Smoke, who's one of these great, uh, working character actors is in here. George Wallace is here. So just all throughout, it's a great cast. The script, I think the script takes a difficult proposition, which is adapting Chester Himes' novel of the same name. Mm-hmm. And and Himes has this kind of noir pulp background. And this is our second Himes adaptation. You, you know, right. we, we started with Cotton Comes to Harlem. Right. And and I said this about Cotton Comes to Harlem. I think the, the difficulty of a Himes story is that there are so many ins and outs to it. Mm-hmm that to adapt it into a film is a daunting task. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a solid job kind of putting all the police, all the pieces in place Mm -hmm. of a very complicated story. Yeah. Directorial Roz, you know, as you said, um, Bill Duke, besides being an actor had, had begun directing television. Yep. This is his first feature film. Yep. And I think as a first time, film director it's it's not bad like this is a good film i I think again with the script with all the moving pieces it's zippy i think the level of talent uh for the most part does well i think scene to scene they're good solid scenes there are three scenes that i i i admired a great deal frankly you know there's a scene in in a traditional black baptist church there's a scene at a dance, which mm-hmm. it made me think about your critique of Spike Lee's scene right. in, in Malcolm X. And I think his dance scene is better than Spike Lee's yes. dance scene. And then there's a scene at what's basically a burlesque show. right? And all three of these scenes that have their own distinct energy mm-hmm. and their crowd scenes, like they're, you know, you are really capturing place. Mm-hmm. He does well. Yes. In all three of them. So I think that's great. Performance wise, you know, speaking of of the Lynn in my head while I'm watching this stuff, you said that even when Gregory Hines was in not great material, Gregory Hines was always great. And I think this is a this is an example of this. Yep. Gregory Hines is fantastic. Yep. Gregory Hines as as Goldie, who mm-hmm. is sort of the morally dubious 
but you know, kind of anti-hero. Have, anti-hero is great, and and he pops off the screen, and he has charisma, yep. and he has all of these different emotions and relationships with people in the film. And if there was a character in this film that I would have liked to have seen more of, it was Goldie. Mm-hmm. Robin Givens. The funny thing about Robin Givens, I was looking at her filmography. It's actually kind of anemic. Like oh, she, yeah. Like she only had four films in the 90s. Yeah. You realize that Robin Givens was in a lot of ways more famous for being Robin Givens. Exactly. Than for her acting. Yes. So what I'm going to say is kind of damning with faint praise. Like, like, you know, when we think about her, we really think about Boomerang. Mm-hmm. And I like her in Boomerang. Mm-hmm. I like her better in this. Oh, really? Than in Boomerang. I think this, as you said, this sort of tough as nails, sexy, femme fatale, basically. Mm-hmm. I think she's fantastic. Okay. You know, I, th- I think physically she's she's right out of a Philip Marlowe novel, or in this case, a Chester Himes novel. Oh, she is. I, I think um, you understand how she's able to stand with these criminals, mm-hmm. but you also get the sense that she might fall for Force Whitaker's character, Jackson, mm-hmm. who is this sort of bumbling church boy. Right. I found... Forrest Whitaker's performance distracting initially. I'm glad you said that. That's the same thing I felt. But I have to say that by the end, mainly because of his relationship and his acting opposite, Hines and Givens, by the end, I had bought in. Right. And I said, okay. Mm -hmm. I kind of get this a little bit. Danny Glover, I think Danny Glover is is basically playing a role i always think of keith david in a role like this where it's this sort of friendly breezy Mm -hmm. deadly person (laughs) where he's so casual but you can tell part of the reason he's so casual and easy going is because he's the apex predator Mm -hmm. like he's always the most dangerous person in the room so he's always kind of joking and relaxed Except for, you know, there's an, an affectation that I'll talk about in a moment that I didn't like. Right. But besides that, liked all that. So, again, if, if you look at all of the ingredients, mm-hmm. at the end of this, I think this is a good movie. There are two factors that I think keep me from really celebrating this film. And, and, and I, I mentioned last week, like, I didn't understand why no one talks about this film. One of those factors I don't think Bill Duke can, could control. One of them I think they could control. I'll do the one he couldn't control first. This movie is uh, an example of what I call like the UMC's phenomenon. Okay. And you know, if anybody knows hip-hop. 90s hip hop, UMC's were a hip hop group in the 90s and they were okay. Mm-hmm. Like they were a solid hip hop group. And if you pull out your UMC's tape and you listen to Blue Cheese, and it's like, you know what? They were all right. The problem with the UMCs is that they were out like Brand Nubian was putting out albums and Gangstar was putting out Tribe. and Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul and Main Source and EPMD and all of these phenomenal groups so that UMCs always got sort of eaten up. Mm-hmm. And the 90s were frankly a great time for black films. Yeah, And you know 1990 in 1992, the two years around 91 were great years, but in 91 itself, 
Rage in Harlem comes out. It premieres May 3rd. Okay. 1991. Two months before that, on March 8th, New Jack City comes out. Mm. On March 29th, basically a month before this comes out, the five heartbeats come out. Wow. One month after after this comes out, June 7th, Jungle Fever. Wow. June 12th, a week after Jungle Fever, or almost a week, Boys in the Hood. Jungle Fever came out before Boys in the Hood? I mean, a week. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. Wow. So part of what happens with A Rage in Harlem is that it comes out in between four of the most iconic black films ever made. Yeah. So who's going to think about that? It's just I. Right. The other thing, and, and this is something that we talked about with Cotton Comes to Harlem. There is this instinct that people have when they when they adapt Chester Himes material that they want to make it a comedy. Mm -hmm. And that's super distracting and takes away from the overall product. There is a tone to this film where they want it to be light and breezy. And, and, you know, even to the point this is a Gravedigger, um, Gravedigger, Jones and Coffin Ed novel right. again chester himes had these harlem detective novels this is actually the first one right and in the books they are i mean they're, they're like these unstoppable forces of god like they're avenging angels yeah and in this they're kind of played bumbly right you know to the point where where legendary comedian george wallace plays gravedigger jones which is ridiculous well that's why it's a loose adaptation because they aren't the stars like they are in the book well they're not even really the stars in the book like like this is like this is their introduction mm -hmm. and and but but you know they're 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 kind of comedy and bumbly um danny glover has this little stupid dog that is sort of this affectation and there's a jokiness that i think kind of takes away from the noir origins and, and the pulp origins that make this so powerful and mm -hmm. and to talk about what could have been talking about how this came out in a certain period four years after this they basically make the perfect chester himes film which is devil in a blue dress right which you know walter mosley is basically you know the easy rollins novels are in a lot of ways uh, a, a chester himes riff mm -hmm. but that pitch perfect tone that you get in devil in a blue dress where you know mouse is funny but but it's this is deadly serious business. You don't get it in a rage in Harlem. And I think ultimately that tonality takes away from the picture. And 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 you know, again, to 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 finish where I started, I think what ends up being a good solid film could have been a great film. Right. But because it didn't go that extra step it ultimately becomes a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it because it's a little bit of a, it's a letdown. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is a big letdown. I, I was reading where the writer of the writer of the, of the movie who was, I want to get it correct. Oh, uh, John tolls Bay who actually plays. Um, he actually plays, Jody, the knife wielding guy. Yeah, in yeah. The movie. He actually wrote the screen. Uh, wrote the movie. 
he wrote it to be a comedy and then in one moment while watching the scene being filmed standing next to Bill Duke he's like you know hey that the line didn't come off of funny like I, I thought it would and Bill Bill like told him it's like because it's not a comedy so like ooh right <laughs> one dude wrote it for a comedy and Bill Duke totally ignored that memo mm-hmm. and was making a, a film noir movie um, and that's that's the one thing like that's one of the things that really strikes me is that there is something here in this movie you know there it's like there is there is gold to be mined you know mm-hmm. from what's happening here but you can see that it's just people are coming at it from with cross purposes this uh I thought that um, I thought that Robin Givens was very much in a film noir movie, you mm-hmm. know, in this entire film, and yet everybody else around her, I don't know where they, I don't know where, like I love Danny Glover, I don't know what movie he was in, <laughs> he was not in the, he, I don't know where he was with his little, like he needed to be in Live and Let Die or like some Roger Moore James Bond movie because he just did not fit in this one to me. Um, I just wasn't feeling him. And Forrest Whitaker, oh my God, he was distracting, does not begin to call it mm-hmm. with him. His whole, you know, affect that he was putting on, like I had to keep turning up the volume to hear his lines. And he was, he was always just playing totally one note. And the reason why he pops when he's with Gregory Hines especially with Gregory Hines is because with Gregory Hines, Gregory Hines is telling him to shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or Gregory, because Gregory is popping his lines. He, uh, Forrest can't now just slowly deliver his lines. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a thing with, um, Bill Duke, who I do appreciate as an actor, but Bill Duke as an actor has a tendency to be very low with his, with his voice and deliberate in his delivery. And it was almost like, I felt like he was directing Forrest Whitaker that way in this movie. That's how it came across to me. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's just because I know that it's Bill Duke directing it. Um, There is a moment where slim, the, the, you know, the, the, the tough guy played by Baja Jola, Mm -hmm. um, who I liked, who who I did like, I did like him. Um, there's a moment, there's a scene where they're about to kill some guy. He's, he's sick of his henchmen on, on, on some guy. And right before he does that, he like swings the, the, the chandelier, the light that's overhead so that it swings back and forth. That is a film noir touch. Mm-hmm. You'll see that in a whole lot of film noir movies. Um, and I was like, Ooh, I know what they're referencing right there, but it doesn't pay off because this is not it, it. It this is not film noir. Mm-hmm. The tension that 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 swinging of the light and it going in and out of the scene is not there. Um, I think also I think one because the tone of the script is not there, and two I'm not sure 
while Bill Duke may have not been directing a comedy, I'm not also, I'm also not sure he was directing a film noir. Mm-hmm. Or if he was, I'm not sure he knows how to do it. Because like you said, those crowd scenes are great, which makes sense if you've ever watched Hill Street Blues, which was famous for multi-layered conversations going on, you know, a whole lot of extras, it, it feeling like an actual lived-in space. So it made sense that those crowd scenes felt lived in, whereas opposed to other scenes, it feels a little staged and stale, mm-hmm. you know, only except when God, you know, uh, God rest the dead, you know, Gregory Hines is on screen. Gregory Hines is introduced fairly early in the movie. And then he actually is gone, which yes. And you feel it. It's, it's, a he's gone for misstep. like about a good 20, 30 minutes of mm-hmm. this movie. And you're like, um, Yo, what I need? I need something because I'm about to go to sleep. That's yes. I am on my way out, man. And and then when Gregory comes in, it's pop, 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 man. I mean that that is just the the magic of this dude. It's he's he's not given the the greatest thing to work with. You know what I mean? But he is he is on it. And in every scene, the the scene where he that he's uh, plays with Zake Smokey, who is totally cast against type yeah. as a transvestite. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I did love that. And 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 God bless Zakes, who is an actor, if you looked at him, you wouldn't no, you would never think of him as a transvestite. But he also, to me, looks like an actor. I don't know, I'm gonna go up to Zakes and say, yo, you or you want to play this transvestite? Right. But God rest God bless him. He was like he was in it. Yeah. He was having fun. You could tell he was just having fun. You know what I mean? And it's not spectacle. It's not like spectacle. he's very much humanized and exactly. he's a character. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 great. Especially considering that it's a a period piece. It only really is spoken of at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, towards the end of the movie. And even then it's it's spoken of in a way that you would expect. Right. It's not like degrading in, in, in any type of way or called upon, you know, showy type of way. Um, but him and Gregory, they have not a lot of scenes together, but enough scenes that you feel the chemistry of these two best right. friends. Right. You immediately feel his chemistry with Forrest Whitaker and they seem like they're brothers. They play stepbrothers in the movie. Um the whole motivation between them, you know, the story, I think, is maybe a little bit too much plot. I think that you okay. could have pulled, you know, you could have take take that novel and really, like, maybe excise, like, uh, like the hard story. And then you could, some, some of the stuff you could have threw away a little bit. Um, but... Their their chemistry just pops off the screen. I didn't feel chemistry between Forrest Whitaker and Robin Givens. I felt that Robin Givens was just smoldering in this movie. Right. But I didn't feel any type of chemistry between them. Okay. I didn't. I didn't. Um, and and while I did think that Robin Givens was good in this film, um, I thought I, I, I one I I think she's better in Boomerang. I think in okay. Boomerang she has more to do and shows more. Um, and there actually is a little bit of an arc to her character there. Mm-hmm. While there, uh, there is an arc here. I don't know if I 100% believe the arc. And and technically, by the end of the movie, she really hasn't gone through the arc because at the end of the movie, she tells the dude, "You don't really know me, right?" And neither do we. And well, and I'll say this back to the noir. 
tradition. I think this femme fatale. I think a miss. Right. It's, I, the, it's, it's the tradition of the femme. And I I think one misstep that they make. You know, there's an early scene before she and and the and her crew get to Harlem. Mm-hmm. And they are adamant about the fact that the violence that's about to happen, the murdering that's about to happen, she's against it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the script not being brave enough to make her morally as morally compromised right. as everyone else in the crew, mm-hmm. which then would have made her a much more interesting and nuanced character. Yes. Because by the end of the film, you 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 know a film noir film like the guy never gets the girl or if he does that's not necessarily the best thing mm-hmm. you're supposed to have ambivalent feelings about them together but because they really oscillate between oh she has a heart of gold and 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 you know i do like the scenes where she's kind of playing the angles with um Baju jola's slim mm-hmm. who is volatile Mm-hmm. And she kind of stands in her own space with the other men. And I think she pulls it off. But I would I would submit that maybe your hesitation to buy her performances, the script didn't commit. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, to her being the film fatale. No, it doesn't. Um and that that that's a shame because she can be a femme fatale. Oh yeah, she yeah yeah. Robin Givens, like you said, her 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 filmography is 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 pretty small. Um, and that's you know that's a story for another day. You know, um, what happened to her in the nineties? Uh, but yeah, she 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 was definitely it. This was like her feature film debut. This right but, right like well leading right because she she's in Boomerang what the next year mm-hmm. yeah and then. You know, she's in some film I'd never even heard of. And then she's in Blank Man. Yeah. Which I had forgotten she was in Blank Man until I looked this up. Yeah. It's like, why is she in Blank Man? I do not know. But but I think you're right. I will say this about the film. The one thing I will say is that the set direction of this film is pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you could not have told me that they were filming this in Cincinnati. Right. This was filmed in Cincinnati. I, for all intents and purposes, I bought in that they were on Harlem. Yeah. Because Harlem. Like, it certainly didn't look like it was like a, a soundstage. Right. Or anything like that. Like maybe like the opening scene looked a little, little soundstage-y. But other than that, everything else looked, you know, like on the streets. And I totally bought in that they were in Harlem. I mean, again, I really do think the pieces you know this is something that 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 you got in the 90s that unfortunately we didn't know how good we had it i think you really get the sense that the studio invested in this project and they went and they found you know like you said it was filmed in a part of cincinnati mm-hmm. that looked like old new york mm-hmm. but you get the sense that this was a quality production and that the misstep was not because somebody was doing something on the cheap. Yeah. They just made a decision. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, with hindsight being 2020, mm-hmm. it was the wrong decision wrong about decision. the tone. Because as we as we just said a few minutes ago, this very easily could have been a film 
that you showed alongside Devil in a in a blue dress. Yeah, I mean the pieces are right there. So it's it's a, it's a, you know I'm not going to say it's a shame because I do still think it's a good movie. But yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cute enough of a movie, right, right. That you know you can still watch it and you know be fairly entertained. Right. It's a shame because it could have been better. Right. You know that's what it is. You could you and you can. And it's one thing for a film to be able to to be better, but it's another thing for even just the layman to be able to be watching it. It's like, oh wow, right? Like you know, I I see where y'all could have gone here, right? I, I see what what y'all really could have done here, and and um, you see the missed opportunities of it all. Um, let me ask you. You know, we went on about Robin Givens for a little bit, and and we've you know extolled on the virtues of Gregory Hines. Mm-hmm. And as well as uh, on Danny Glover, what are your thoughts of Forrest Whitaker as an actor? I think Forrest Whitaker is from project to project for me. Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, a lot of hoises is going to seem weird. He's almost like Nicolas Cage to me. Like, like I, I would never say, oh, he's a bad actor, mm-hmm. but at the same time, Forrest Whitaker is never going to get me to a movie. Like, Forrest Whitaker is never going to make me stop right. and, and watch what right. he's in because he's in it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's how I kind of feel about him as well. I also think, I'll say this about Forrest Whitaker. I think Forrest Whitaker, much like Samuel L. Jackson, got big, and 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 it seems like his lane or or, or his strength is as a character actor, mm-hmm. but then he got big and he started getting lead roles. Mm-hmm. And I think Samuel L. Jackson has pulled it off better than Forrest Whitaker. Although I still honestly like Samuel L. Jackson better as a character actor. Mm-hmm. I think Forrest Whitaker as a lead very rarely, like I'm sort of scrolling in my head through Forrest Whitaker performances. I don't know if he's ever worked for me as a lead actor. Well, he's got he's got a he's got a distinctive look. Yeah, I think that hampers him a little bit uh, in some of the roles that he can get. Uh, I, I'm I've liked him uh, leading some things, um, but uh, you know, Ghost Dog. You know, that was. Everybody loves Ghost Dog. Everybody loves Ghost Dog. I loved Ghost Dog, but I think if if I'm being brutally honest, I love Ghost Dog in spite of Forrest Whitaker. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's a good question. You, you know what? That would be a good conversation to have when we review that because it's definitely a black film. So that means we gotta watch it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, 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 oh my goodness, we have to watch Ghost Dog. Whatever shall we do? Fire up some popcorn. Ghost <laughs> I don't have any problem watching Ghost Dog. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just curious about that. Um, and Bill Duke as a director, I would have liked to have seen him do more. I don't think he, he's directed a, a whole lot of stuff. I don't. I think Deep Cover is a film that I love, and I always forget I love until I watch it, and then I always go, "Wow, I love Deep Cover." Mm. Yeah, he did uh, Rage in Harlem, Deep Cover. Oh, he did Hoodlum, too. I like 
hoodlum. I suspect hoodlum didn't age that well. It doesn't. And he did. Oh, here's a film that you love, Vince. Sister Act 2 back in the hat. I remember we talked about he directed Sister Act 2. And I I, I want to point out really quick. I talked about, you know, the the music being done by Elmer Bernstein. Mm -hmm. Because I thought that the music, like the opening music to this to this movie was great. Yeah. Real epic. Took me right into the play. I mean, like it and it had a drive and an intensity and a feel that unfortunately I think the film lets down. Yes. Because I, yes. I think the score through throughout it is just like, you know, it the score is just waiting for the scenes to like match it in intensity. You think you're gonna watch a noir film. Right. Uh, and Elmore Bernstein, ladies and gentlemen, unless you know, this is a man with several significant credits. Not just Rage in Harlem, but this is the man behind the score for The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. The Ten Commandments. The Great Escape. To Kill a Mockingbird. Cape Fear. The Age of Innocence. And if you think that he can only do epic stuff, he's also be the man behind the score for Animal House, Airplane, and Ghostbusters. This this doesn't surprise me at all. Again, I give credit where credit is due. This was, dare I say, a, a prestige project. I mean, when you look at, uh, uh, first of all, I think period pieces are challenging just just from jump. Yes. Just, you know, getting just the costuming right, mm-hmm. getting the sense of place right, right, getting the vehicles, getting getting the, the appliances and the furniture, like everything. I think the dialogue. I mean the dialogue. Well, I'm just talking about the, the money part. Okay, okay. Like the money part before we even get to the script. Mm-hmm. So that Black period pieces, frankly, I think are very rarely done well because of the money that you need to spend Mm -hmm. to do it well. Right. Black period pieces in the 40s or 50s or 60s, as opposed to, you know, black cowboy. Like, I think there I think there are some some fine cowboy movies from the 70s, you know, Buck and the Preacher, Mm -hmm. uh, Bushrod and Thomasina. But again, just. Just economically, you can see, you know, you can shoot a lot of that outside. Right. And it's horses. But something where you need, again, apartments and buildings and cars and clothes and and appliances and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. There aren't a lot of examples of just on that level, the black period piece done well. Right. Just on this level, I would put this up there with Malcolm X. I'd put this up here with Devil in the Blue Dress. I'd put that up, you know, put this up there with, um, I had another black period piece. Crooklyn. I'd put this up there with Crooklyn, you, you know, and again, and of the films that I just named, I don't think it is a a mistake that two of them were made by Spike Lee, who -hmm. by the time he made them, he had the pull Mm -hmm. to kind of put this together so that. I admire that. Again, just the look of it. Oh yeah. And 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 I don't know how many other ways to say it. Like 
for the most part, I think it's a good film. I just it could have been better. It could have been it could have been a lot better, but it's not bad. It's not bad. And then the the, the bad thing is there are funny moments that work for me. The running joke about the picture of his mother that got old. I actually it actually made me laugh every time they told the joke. It got it got real old to me. You didn't like it? It, it really got old. You didn't to like me. that's Jesus. <laughs> it got it, it got played. It got tired. All right. And I mean, they did it three times. It was it was it was rules of three. There's rules of three, rule but, of three. But, but the other reason why I didn't like it, I mean, it got old by the second time. Okay. But by the third time, I really hated it because, I'm sorry, it was George Wallace. Oh, yeah. I am not a fan of George Wallace. I do not find George Wallace to be funny. I know he is like the comedian's comedian. Right. And I'm not going to say that he's not funny because obviously a lot of people find him funny. I do not find George Wallace to be funny. I don't, I know he, I don't even think he considers himself much of an actor, so I'm not going right. to call him out on that. Um, and like you said, he's not asked to do anything in this movie but trip over himself. Yes, and which... he does that fairly well mm-hmm. uh, and be loud. Yeah, I mean he's an old timey. It's weird. George Wallace is like a Shitland Circuit comedian, but without that energy. Yeah, that kind of makes Chitland Circuit comedians work. Like, George Wallace could never have been on Sanford and Son. No. No, he couldn't have. That's fair. Yeah. Because you said, and I realized that I don't know if I think George Wallace is funny. He's just legendary. Yeah, he's just a name. Yeah, but I don't know if he's ever made me laugh. No. All right, that's fair. No, so, and and that joke, that joke really got tired. I mean, was there some funny bits in here? There were were some. Um, I'm drawing a blank on any of them right now. I think Gregory Hines, much like we said in tap, I think Gregory Hines is funny. I was going to go to a scene with Gregory Hines and Forrest Whitaker running up and down the yeah. stairs. I just didn't want to just keep, you know, um, sucking down on, on Gregory Hines. Yeah. I mean, but he is, he, when he comes back to the movie, I'm like, where have you been? Yeah. And you're right. It, it was, a, it was a, a choice I wouldn't have made to drop him out of the film. Yeah. For almost a half hour. Especially considering that his his name is above the credits. Yeah. Like he's the first name. It yeah. To be gone for that big stretch, like almost like the first half of the movie. Yeah. You know? Um and even then, like you said, he's introduced in a way that you kind of get an idea of his loose relations with people. But then they really never play off on that right. ever again. Right. I I, I it's almost at the end of the movie. It almost made me like, you know, okay, Forrest Whitaker and and I'm a Bell are off to Robin, Memphis. Right, Robin Gibbons' character, right, I'm a Bell. They're off mm-hmm. to Memphis. Let's come back to Harlem Ex- for a Goldie movie. Exactly. And, so, and watch Goldie have to deal with Gravedigger and, um, exactly. and the other boy. There you go. Yeah. So, but. so yeah, a rage in Harlem. I, I, another thing about Robin G- Givens' character in this, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, this is an Eartha Kitt role. Oh, yeah. I could have seen Eartha Kitt. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Robin Givens, man. 
I don't know if I want to say it's a shame what ended up happening with because I think a lot of that. Well, I do think has it's a shame. to do with with choices she made. The, the choices that she made, but nobody makes the choice to go through what she did with um, Mike Tyson. Oh no, no, no! Well, yeah, right. Well, I'm not talking about that part. I, I just meant her public persona. Okay. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because even pre Mike Tyson, right? She she some, was kind of situating stuff. herself yeah. as as this sort of almost bitch goddess. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And ultimately, I I I think her talent was bigger than that. Like again, the fact that we know Robin Givens more for her personal life mm-hmm. than we do for her acting is a shame because I think when she actually does the work, she's not bad. She's not. She's 53 years old. Right, right. She's not dead, but you know, we're talking about the 90s and the heyday of the Robin Givensness. She does she she deserves to be working again. Yeah. She deserves to be working. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So you, you didn't ask that. Would you recommend people watch Raising I Rome? would. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I absolutely would. Yeah, I absolutely would. I, I think it's 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 a fun it's a fun it's, movie. It's a fun movie, afternoon it, movie, right? It's a good movie. It made me want to watch Devil in the Blue Dress. I almost chose Devil in the Blue Dress. It does make it does make you want to watch yeah. Devil in the Blue Dress. Yeah, really I, like does. I said, I wanted to to pick something set in the fifties. Oh, no, if only you could have took the Goldie character and put him in Devil in the Blue Dress. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the mouse character. It is the mouse character, but it it, it would have been, it would have been so yeah, much, so much fun. So yeah, but yeah, I'd recommend it. I definitely would. So would I. Um, that will do it for our review of A Rage in Harlem, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned to hear what we're going to be reviewing next week. But first, I want to let you know that you can like and follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Michelle Mission. Um, our show is available as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on W. PPM 106.5 FM People Power Media Philly Cam here in Philadelphia as well as on Monday mornings spend your Monday mornings with Michelle Mission on 91.7 WKDU in Philadelphia Drexel Drexel University Radio and our show is also available, a proud member of the Podglomerate family of podcasts. Podglomerate, that's thepodglomerate.com, which just recently uh, upgraded their website. Vince, were you aware of that? They upgraded their website just in time for the debut of their new podcast the history of stand-up yeah i knew it was coming with wayne fetterman and andrew steven so that's available right there on podglomerate we are very proud to be absolutely sitting next to them as well as all their other podcasts the jet setting family the feast uh two girls and a podcast we are very happy to sit, sit with our podglomerate brethren yes in podcastery <laughs> Okay, so you're up. I'm up, and and I'm going to close out my walk through the 1950s. Okay, and I was going to 
at first I was going to try and like continue like digging in the crates for like 50 movies that, you know, people maybe have not seen revisited and stuff like that. Okay. You know, cause, cause nobody's heard of the Mark of the Hawk before, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> before they turned to the mission. Right. But then I said, no, no, no. People got dust on their fingers. <laughs> dirt under their fingernails. Right, right, up right. for, Where's this damn Anna LaCosta? Anna LaCosta. <laughs> so, you know, I may just sit through the Jackie Robinson story. So <laughs> we're still in the 50s. But this, ladies and gentlemen, will not only be a movie that will not be hard to find. I guarantee it. Okay. But it is one of the... It's one of the best movies of the 1950s. Oh, wow. And it is considered one of the better movies of all time. Oh, and my we're goodness. Continuing our um, Six Degrees of Separation. You know, we had Eartha Kitt and Sidney Poitier. Now we're taking Sidney Poitier. Oh. And we're teaming him with Tony Curtis in The Defiant Ones. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love this movie. I have not seen the Defiant ones. We talked about this. Like it's not one of my go-to Sydney Portier movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Okay. All right. So I figure, you know, let's let we'll go out with a good one. Yeah. We'll go out yeah. With a good one. A guaranteed good. One. Len likes this one. No. I'm letting you know right now. <laughs> I like this one. Oh, now that's I got, coming up. Maybe I won't like it. Yeah, I'll probably like yeah, it. You'll like it. <laughs> All you'll, right. You'll like it. All right. Look at the fire ones next week here on the Michelle Mission. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got to get out of here. Um, real quick, I just want to give a shout out to my grandson, Avery. Who hey, is this Avery. Past Sunday turned two years old. <laughs> Yay, Avery. He's been spending the last three weeks with me. Um, this is his last week that he'll be with me, so he'll be going back to New Mexico with his mom. I had playtime with Avery before we start taping. It was adorable. It was adorable. It was too adorable, and that's why I didn't take a picture. <laughs> um, we gotta get out of here. He's Vince. I'm Len. And parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.